0: Today, we have the incredible honor to hear from one of our very own church planters, Pastor Sean Sears, who planted Grace Church in Boston. Uh, Sean Sears was one of the very first church planters we ever worked with as a church. And actually, we have spiritual grandchildren because Sean Sears Church has now planted seven other churches in the Boston area. And so Lake Point family, would you please help me give a hero's welcome to the Bishop of Boston, the Pontifex of Preach, Pastor Sean Sears. It's an honor to be here. Uh, he left off a couple of things I wrote down for him to say, uh, but I'll, I'll forgive him for that. Um, I, I, I love your church. Uh, I love your pastors and your staff. And I know that it, it's probably common for guest speakers to say that their church wouldn't be uh, where it is now without you guys. But it's, it's literally true in, in, our, in our case. Uh, I moved to Boston to be a professor at a college and only did that for a few years before I realized God did not put me here to be an academic, uh, ADD. And, and academics don't go together very well. I've got it really bad. I got squirrels running around in my head all the time, and uh, every once in a while a squirrel will get out and they'll say, hey, talk about me, talk about me, and I try to shoot it, but it gets away sometimes, and that may or may not happen today, I'm going to try to keep that cage and them squirrels locked tight, Um, but like for instance, the squirrel just said, hey, talk about squirrels, talk about squirrels, talk about squirrels. I almost forgot what I was talking about, but I'm not an academic. Uh, my my uh, spiritually disconnected neighbors were close friends of ours, and we'd had a couple of uh, spiritual conversations just in the backyard, as you do with your friends, and uh, they had a friend go through a crisis. They asked us if, to go visit their friend in the hospital. Then my friend, who is not a part of any church and, and spiritually not even sure where she was at, said to her, friend, you need to be in a Bible study. If Sean and his wife started a Bible study, would you go to it? And she said, yes. And uh, then she looked at me and she went, Sean? So I'm like, I was going to say crap, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that here. So I didn't say that, but there's a squirrel. Say crap, say crap, say crap. <laughs> don't know if I'm allowed to say that. All right, anyway, glad I didn't. But, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, something about squirrels. I don't know where I was at. Oh, so I was like, oh, I guess we're starting a Bible study. So, uh, that, that. That, that was in the, the spring of 2005, and I had met you guys then, and uh, I was from a, a smaller network, and, and it was just kind of like, a just get to 100, and, 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 and we did. We got to 100 people. It took us about four years, but most of my friends were still spiritually disconnected from God, and I knew the goal of a church isn't to get to the place where they can pay their own bills. The goal of a church is to help everybody who lives within their vicinity to have an opportunity to know and to follow Jesus before they enter eternity and see him without having rep- have become a follower of him, so... Uh, I went to uh, a Church planters Conference in Orlando. I met one of your staff pastors. Uh, his name is Rick Burge. And he said, uh, we're not going to partner with you. And the network I'm from, that just meant $50 a month, right, as a support check. And I was like, I, gotta, I don't need your dumb partnership. I just need somebody to tell me what to do. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, we're not going to partner with you. I said, well, that's that's fine. But if I called you every once in a while, would you just answer questions, he said yes, and then all I did was everything he said to do, and a hundred new people started following Jesus at Grace Church, and then he goes, all right, now I'll introduce you to the pastor, and then uh, your staff, uh, like your youth staff has coached our youth staff, your worship team has coached our worship team, our executive pastor has been coached, like you guys don't just give money, you give your time, like you give yourselves, Uh, and when you as a, a member of this church family give to God through this church, you're not just throwing money into a pot, right like yeah there's electric bills and stuff like that that need to be paid for but your church creates enough margin um that you guys are, are are like leveraging those resources to make a difference in boston and so um starting with pastor steve and even now pastor josh who might be like one of the smartest young dudes i've ever met holy cow like i gotta be on you you clap for that that's awesome when Pastor Josh became the next pastor, I was a little nervous for you guys. I'm just going to be honest. Because I don't think he shaves yet. But <clears throat> homeboy looks sexy, though. Man, he looks good. And that white shirt, I was like, wow, you look good, bro. You look good. Um, anyway, but man, that dude's a ninja, right? And uh, you guys are killing it, and you ain't done killing it. And I'm, I'm just happy to... I should probably start preaching at some point but I just want to say thank you like I'm like there's if there's one not if there is one church that has made a bigger difference in our ability to connect with our actual friends and neighbors who are spiritually disconnected from God in its leg point so I'm just incredibly grateful for each one of you guys and that would be awesome to clap for that All right um, how many of you guys think the, the world's going a little bit crazy? Raise your hand. The girls, The world's going a little bit crazy. Raise your hand. How many of you guys say it's going a lot of bit crazy? Anybody? Who's sitting next to somebody crazy? We'll just see how far this goes. I don't know how far this goes. All right. So get this. The 1970s saw our country go through a sexual revolution a war, heightened awareness of racism, protests, riots, a presidential impeachment, economic crisis, oil shortages, skyrocketing interest rates and political vision division. Does that sound like any other time in history? That was the 70s. All right. Today we see our country in the same place. A sexual revolution that makes even the non-religious people uncomfortable. A war on terror that seems to finally be waning, heightened awareness of continued racism, protests, riots, presidential scandal, economic crisis, oil prices through the roof, rising interest rates and political division and homes you cannot afford any longer because of all them Californians driving the prices up. We're gonna add that in there too. I'm just, the only difference is that we got a worldwide pandemic as the cherry on top. This might be the first time that you've ever lived through something like this, but it isn't the first time the church has gone through something like this. The spiritual chaos of the 70s led to a spiritual renewal that produced the Jesus movement that brought some of the greatest evangelical influences of the 80s and 90s to faith in Jesus. It also ushered in a charismatic evangelical revival throughout the Catholic churches in the Northeast. And some of the churches that we've planted up in the New England area are the answers to prayers that born-again Catholics have prayed for over over the last 40 years. I believe that time is going to show that the chaos of the last, what, six to 10 years, depends on who you talk to, the last 10 years is going to lead to a spiritual renewal that may become the beginnings of a third great awakening. I honestly believe that the church was created for times like this, right? Like in this, you can clap for that too. (laughs) Like I think your church is proof of that. Not everybody here votes the same party ticket but we have more in common because of our relationship with Jesus than we don't because of our political differences, right? And we're not going to let temporary American politics keep our neighbors eternally separated from Jesus either, right? Like this is the moment that the church was created for. So I have a question for you. What if God intended to use the men and women in this room as the catalyst for that great awakening? What would Jesus be looking for? I know what he'd be looking for. He'd be looking for individuals, families, and churches that were conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what God is looking for. So what did Jesus do and who did he focus on? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at in the Bible. So if you have a Bible or a smartphone, you can open up the Bible app and go to Luke chapter 19. Now, in your own time, if you want, you can look at Luke 18, where Jesus makes, uh, meets uh, one super rich guy who responds poorly to Jesus. And in Luke 19, the very next day, he reads another super rich guy. And these two guys have completely different responses to Jesus. I've got a sermon on that that we're not doing today. We're just going to focus on, on the second, second guy. But Jesus is at the end of his ministry and he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's already told Peter that when we get there, I'm going to be betrayed and, and put in the hands of the Romans, and I'll, I'll, I'll be crucified, and on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. Then Peter said, well, then this is a horrible idea. Why are we going to Jerusalem? And that's when Jesus famously said, uh, Get thee behind me, Satan. So they're on that trip. And uh, I actually went to Israel one time in my whole life, and it was with you guys, with Lake Point. Uh, you guys went, uh, I don't know how many years ago it's, it's been now, uh, and so we drove by the city that we're going to be looking at. So when Jesus and his disciples were up in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, they would have traveled south along the Jordan River, and when they got down even on uh, latitude or longitude, I don't know, I've... The squirrel's like, talk more about latitude and longitude, and I don't want to do it. But I just shot him. See, I didn't even let him out. Um, then you, I did, though, a little bit, didn't I? He got a foot out, but I shot his foot, and he pulled it back in. And the squirrel's like, keep talking about my foot. Keep talking about my foot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so then you start heading, you start heading west. And then uh, as you leave the Jordan Valley and, and it goes uphill towards Jerusalem, on the right-hand side is the city of Jericho. Now, on the highway that everybody travels today, it's, you know, it's not through the city. It's, it's on the south side of the city so that you can get to Jerusalem quickly. But back in Jesus's day, they didn't have highways. So they would have walked through. I mean, to get to Jerusalem, he had to go through Jericho. And that's where we're at in Luke chapter 19, verse one. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. Now, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Zacchaeus. Anybody? All right, if you were raised in a Protestant church as a little kid, I know that you probably sang that song. Everybody, does anybody know it? Zacchaeus was a... There, there you go. And we Okay, stop, stop. You guys are like, no, let's keep singing. That's a squirrel in your head. I just shot your squirrel. Uh, uh, right, it was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He's, he's, he's probably a man with dwarfism. He was, he was a small, very small guy. And uh, he was a chief tax collector. So if you were raised in church or maybe even in the CCD, you've heard a lot of things talked about. Uh, when it comes to the classes that you learned about the Bible, uh, you heard about the tax collectors, and they were always lumped in as the biggest sinners in Jesus' day. That's because they worked for the Romans, and the only way that they made money was by collecting more in taxes from their fellow Jewish people than what the Romans needed, and then they got to keep all of the rest. So they were hated. And the moment they, by the way, they weren't drafted into this job. They bid for this job at an auction. So Zacchaeus, who was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, at some point in his life saved up enough money to purchase this position, to extort money from his fellow people, right? From his, from his, from, from the other, other, other Jews what would cause a person to want that job? Like, was he picked on his whole life, but no one ever respected me, so I'd rather them fear me if they're not going to respect me, right, or or, or love me. That made me, the squirrel that wants to jump out right now is from the office. Do you want to be feared or do you want to be loved? And he says, I want them to fear how much they love me. Does anybody remember that quote at all? I should have killed that one because nobody knows that squirrel. But anyway, um, but that's Zacchaeus. He hadn't been to temple since he had this job. Like he was ceremonially unclean. He wasn't allowed to go to temple or to synagogue. So when he took this position working for the Romans to extort money from his fellow Jews, uh, he was making a conscious choice not only to betray his people, but to betray the God of his people. And this was something he willingly did, which is the reason why Jews of Jesus' day considered tax collectors to be at the bottom with like murderers and because they had betrayed and denied God himself. Like they were, yeah, it was, it was a really, really, really big deal. So if there's one bad guy in Jericho, it's this guy, Zacchaeus, uh, verse three, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. Um, <clears throat> I've never seen a little person not get to the front of the line. Like I, I remember when I was a little uh, kid, I was seven or eight when we went to Disney World for the first time. And then you've got the the Main Street is it Main Street Parade or I forget the name of the parade that comes through several different times of the day. And uh, I my my brother, my, I'm the oldest, so my my brother who's second was on my dad's shoulder. My sister who's the youngest was was my mom was holding her to see the parade. But I I couldn't see because my parents don't love me, and they weren't helping me at all. So I asked my dad if I could scoot up a little bit, and he said, yes. So as a little bitty dude, you can, you know, weasel all the way up to the front. It's real easy uh, to get up to the front and uh, sit on the curb. Now, the end of that story is that after the parade was over, I really did lose my mom and dad. I was lost, and they had told us when we got to the park that if you get lost, go find somebody with a name tag on Uh, And that worked. And uh, they took me to a room uh, behind the candy store that was like completely decked out. Like it was like heaven for kids, man. Like it was free ice cream. And like I never wanted to be found by my parents ever again. They showed up and I was like, I don't know them. I don't know them. Can I go back? Can I get some more ice cream with sprinkles? Um, Yeah. So anyway, uh, but little kids can always get up to the front. So what's the reason, like he was little and he couldn't see, but why could he not get to the front of the, of the I mean, it's essentially a parade. Jesus is walking through town and word had spread. That he's at the end of his ministry, so everybody knows who he is. So the entire city comes out to see this guy that everybody's talking about. And then Zacchaeus is wanting to get to the front and he can't. And I think it's because nobody would let him. He couldn't see over the crowd, but he couldn't get through the crowd either. Because like, what are you doing here? Why do you want to see the holy man? I know you don't care about God. Get out of here, right? This is the one time they actually have the power to stand up to him, right? Because this has nothing to do with the Romans. So he knows, well, if Jesus is walking down this road, I know where there's a sycamore tree farther down the road. Now, how did he know where the sycamore... Now, he lived there, obviously, but the sycamore tree has branches that start growing off the ground under two feet. So the branches aren't way up here. So this might've been the only tree a wee little man could have climbed. So that little detail is in there for a reason. Like he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see because it's also the only tree he could have climbed. He wouldn't have been able to reach the branches. So he he knew where that tree was. Maybe he grew up climbing on that one. So he goes and he climbs up that tree because he knew Jesus was gonna pass that way. Verse five. So when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, which means that Zacchaeus had gotten high enough in the tree that Jesus can look up at him. And I've always wondered, sorry, this, I was a youth pastor for 14 years, so these, these thoughts keep coming to my head. Like I just, he's in a man dress in a tree above everybody's head. I'm just saying, I hope he was careful. That's all I'm saying. Let's hope it's not a mini man dress, right? I, it was a, I mean, there's a robe, but you know what I'm saying. Like it's, like, dude, you're like way high in there. Sorry, that was inappropriate. <laughs> this is another squirrel I should have shot. And so Jesus comes by and he looks up. You know, anybody else in the town who's like wanting to make a really good impression on Jesus? And maybe that's part of the reason why they wouldn't let Zacchaeus to the front of the crowd. I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really go into any detail about why he, could, other, he couldn't see over the crowd, but doesn't tell us why he couldn't get to the front. So he goes down ahead, and then Jesus stops the parade, and he looks up. So what does everybody else do? Right? Like, if I looked up and went like that, what would everybody do? Everybody would look where I was pointing. And So he looks up at Zacchaeus, and then everybody else looks up at Zacchaeus. And you know, half the people in the crowd are like, "Ah man, what an idiot. Like, you're embarrassing all of us, dude. And then Jesus says his name, but there's nowhere in the Bible that indicates he'd ever been introduced to Zacchaeus. I wonder if Zacchaeus caught that. Like he didn't know who Jesus was either. Like that's the whole point of the story is that he wanted to see what he looked like. So we know he'd never met Jesus. And then he climbs up in the tree to see him and he hadn't been to synagogue and temple in years. And then the star of the show stops at the tree under him and looks up at him. And then everybody else in the crowd looks up at him and probably already starts to hear the murmuring. And Right, and then does he regret it at all? And is he embarrassed and is it, like, like, wishing he hadn't done, like, I don't, I don't know what emotions are, like, this isn't a parable, like, this really happened to a real dude in a real time, in a, in a real town. And, he, and, he, and Jesus looks up at him, and, like, what does he think Jesus' next words are gonna be? Does, does, like, does he think that Jesus is gonna treat him like every other religious person that he'd ever hung out with? Or had been interacted with? Because I'll bet you, he wasn't expecting to hear what he actually heard. Right? Because Jesus, all he does is just says his name, Zacchaeus. You right, and then he, he knows me. He knows me. Like it's one thing to know, right? Like who a famous person is. Taylor Swift just came out with an album that's really big and everything, and it, I haven't listened to it, but it's probably about breaking up with a hundred other boys. I don't know. All of our songs. She makes great music when people break her heart. That's all I know, right? Um, but like, you might know who Taylor Swift is, but it would be cooler if she knew who you were. Yes or no? Yeah, absolutely. So like, he, everybody knows who Jesus is, but Jesus knows who he is. This is crazy, right? Uh, then look at the rest. Jesus, uh, verse five, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him my name, is Zacchaeus. He said, quick, come down, Um, for I'm going to your house today, right? I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Like, this is crazy. Like, when was the last time somebody of Jesus' stature, like, saw him? Like, not just interacted with him, but, like, acted as though his life mattered. So it's easy to for me to see him, like, receiving Jesus with great excitement and joy. Because this, this is a really big, big deal. Verse 7. Um, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So who are the people that are displeased? This is everybody else. Everybody else that goes to temple, everybody else that goes to synagogue, everybody else that knows that they're higher up on the religious ladder, Then Zacchaeus says, man, he's on the stinking bottom. Like, I don't think that's fair. I've been going to temple forever, right? I've been, whatever, whatever they, right? They've been doing their thing. And then, but Jesus goes and hangs out with him? Like, like, what about the mayor of Jericho? Like, he would have loved for Jesus to come over to his house probably. I don't know if they had a mayor, but that type of a person in the town, the person who ran the local, the local synagogue, that guy would have loved to have been, had Jesus as the guest of honor in his own home. It would have like done a whole lot for his clout in the community for sure. That would have been awesome if that had happened for him, but it didn't. He picked, he picked the scumbag. That's who he picked. He picked the pagan. The person who had denied his people had walked away from his faith and had walked away from God himself. And so the people, they were upset, man. They were really mad. Now this phrase that Jesus had gone was a, was a friend of, a notorious sinner, you also see in Luke 15, and we're gonna to get to that in just, just a few minutes. <clears throat> but verse eight says that, it says meanwhile. It's verse eight it starts with meanwhile. And we don't know everything that's happening for the rest of the day, but this is later on in the day. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes which is how he made his money. I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are what? Those who are lost. This is one of my favorite stories in the New Testament because of what it highlights about Jesus and his mission. That the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Who in Jericho wanted to see Jesus what's the obvious answer everyone but who in jericho did jesus want to see it was the man who was farthest from grace it was the man who was less like least likely it was the one guy who felt like he didn't belong wasn't welcome and wasn't loved what I know from this story and many others in the New Testament is that if you're a part of Lake Point today and you feel like this ain't your people, like this isn't, like you're wondering why you're here, you don't belong, I'm not like these people, but I don't know if I even want to be. Depends on who you're sitting next to. I know that of all the people who are part of Lake Point today, you're the one guy Jesus would want to go to lunch with after the service. You're the one person. And I love that about God because there's been times in my life where I felt like I had done enough bad that I would have to start doing more good before I could even come back to God and talk to him again. But Zacchaeus hadn't done anything good yet and Jesus chose him. And I I just, I just like that. I, I, just, I just love that. But that brings me to the first of only, that was my introduction. I'm gonna, the first of two points in today's teaching and the first is this. The close, listen, I told my wife this before the, te- before the service started today. There's a part of me that's nervous because I want people to be impressed and I have to repent of that. Because regardless of what you think about anything I do or say, you have got to get this. That's what needs to happen more than anything else. You have got to get this or you miss Jesus. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you care for those who are farthest from him. Like if that was the only thing you got from today's teaching, I'd be Bro, I'm totally fine with that. That the closer you get to Jesus, the more you care for those who are farthest from him. Matthew chapter four, verse 19 says this. I want to prove it to you. Matthew chapter four, verse 19. This is when Jesus calls James and John to be his disciple. And he says, and Peter, by the way, he said, Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you what? How to what? How to fish for people. He said, if you follow me, I'll show you how to fish for people that do not follow me. And there's a million other things he could have said that he would teach you to do if you began following him. He could have said, if you follow me, I'll teach you how to worship. If you follow me, I'll show you how to preach. If you follow me, I'll show you how to give. If you follow me, I'll show you how to serve. But he didn't say any of that stuff. What he said is, if you follow me, the end result of you pursuing me is your passion for those who don't. And I don't know why it is that it seems the longer somebody is a Christian, the less likely they are to be close friends who aren't also Christians. And what I would say is, it seems sometimes that the longer we're Christians, the less likely we are to behave like Christ. That's all I'm saying. The more mature you are in your faith, the more compassion you have for those who don't share your faith. What is the end result of your discipleship? It's greater evangelism. We had a girl leave our church in the early days. She said, your church is too focused on, on," she called them lost people, which I think is a little bit of a condescending term anyway, but spiritually disconnected, spiritually lost is the idea, like wandering, looking for, like that's the idea. And if that's what she meant, great. But she said, your church is too focused on, on lost people and I'm more mature than that. And my thought was, girl, you're not as mature as you think you are because if you were, you'd be as laser focused on people who are far from God just like we are. And that was the next thing I wanted to say is that Jesus was laser focused on those who were disconnected from God. And you can probably think of your own examples that I could have preached from instead of Luke chapter 19. How many lepers do you think Jesus Jesus healed? Lepers couldn't be touched by those who were ceremonially clean. And once they got leprosy, they could never go to temple again. So who went after them? Jesus did. The woman at the well, she wasn't allowed in temple either because of her sexual history. And she wasn't even Jewish. She was half Jewish, which to them in their day was less than a person. So Jesus crossed racial barriers Right To talk to a girl in the middle of the day at a well who wasn't even accepted by her own people. Then you've got the demoniacs. My first sermon I ever preached here, I got preached on the two naked dudes. I don't know if you remember that. It was my favorite sermon ever. There's a story in the Bible about two naked dudes running through the forest. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it's an awesome story in the Bible. It's great. Oh, and when I went with you guys to Israel, we got to actually see where the two naked dudes ran at Jesus and the pigs jumped off a cliff and died. It was awesome. The palsied, the sick, the prostitute who anointed Jesus' feet, the other tax collectors, he even made one of them his disciple, Levi, right? Jesus was laser focused. Like he hung with his crew. Like he, he had spiritual backup. He had the 12 disciples that he was mentoring. But what he told them at the very beginning of his ministry is that if you follow me, We're going to fish for people that don't follow me. And he spent the next three years showing them how to do that. And at the end of his ministry, he said, now go actually out there and do that. And what we did instead was we started getting together in closer and tighter circles and kind of circling the wagons to try to keep the whole world out. And we lost the whole point of being a devoted follower of Jesus. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, I told you I would mention this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And I get to preach on this whole chapter, Luke 15, last time I was here, but I wanted to read the two verses again, but that made the teachers of the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sin, sinful people. He's even eating with them, they said. They didn't have a problem with Jesus spending time with pagans if he was going to preach to them or make them feel bad about being pagans. But just eating with them or watching a football game as though he genuinely, genuinely likes them, like that's what they, that's what they didn't understand. When was the last time someone far from God wanted to spend time with you? Like, that's, that's the measure. So the question isn't whether or not you love those who are far from God. Every good Christian says, I love people who are not Christians, but that's not the question. The question is, if those who are far from God feel most loved by you. That's the question, because in Jesus's day, those who were farthest from God felt most loved by God, and I'm wondering if those who are farthest from God in your high school, right, or in your place of work, your place of business, like think of the person that you would, and you're not gonna say their name out loud because you don't wanna let everybody know that we're all judging people all the time, every day anyway, and we all do this. We Everybody judges everybody. But if there is somebody at your work who's farthest from God, think of that person. The person in your apartment building farthest from God. The person in your high school farthest from God. Does that person, if I talked to that person and I said, who would you say cares most about you? Would you even be in their top five? Because notorious sinners were attracted to Jesus's company because of the way he treated them. And I just think that it, we're called to be like that too. That those who are farthest from God should genuinely feel like we would give them the shirt off our back if we had to. And in theory you probably say that you would. I'm just asking, do they feel like you would? Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard. And I told a friend that I met here at Lake Point that I'd throw this one in. But the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a cigar smoker and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. Because, like, there's somebody in your church that actually, on a Monday night at a cigar lounge just started doing an open-ended conversation about Jesus because he knew at a cigar lounge on a Monday night, he'd be most likely to bump into other dudes who probably wouldn't show up here. And half the people, half the people in that Monday night group are part of this church family now, regardless what you think about smoking cigars or not. I don't, that's not the, you're like, don't let that squirrel be the main thing in your head right now. The point I'm trying to make is See that crazy? Like, and I'm not saying Josh should go to bars. <laughs> Do you, Josh? <laughs> but Jesus was called a drunkard. Like, think about that for a second. When was the last time you were ever accused of something bad? Because of the company you keep? Like, we work really hard not to be around the people that Jesus said that our faith was intended for. And I just think we need to reevaluate what we do with our time and who we invite over for football. That's what I think. I don't think that everybody that you hang out with should believe exactly like you or vote like you. And I, that's probably a really hard thing for me to say in this state, but, right? But it's, it's sorry, <laughs> I got this done. But that brings me to the, the second and the final point, and that's this, the mission of the church is to reach those who aren't in it. Matthew 28:18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. What do, I, what do I want you to do with my authority? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. You're making a disciple out of somebody who's what? Already following Jesus in all the nations? No. Like all these nations that Jesus was talking about, all of these different people groups, these, these ethnic groups and different language groups and people groups all over the world. He said, this is intended for everybody. This isn't just for Jewish people. It's not just for Americans or, or Haitians or Dominicans or, 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 or Brazilians. Like this is for like whatever you are, this is, this is for everybody. But how are they going to know that unless you're the person who becomes the their friend of them? And Jesus didn't spend all of his time preaching. He spent his time. Now, Jesus never got drunk. We know that. But he spent, why was he called a drunkard? Because he was hanging out with people who were what? Drinking. Right? Really, Jane and I were at a Super Bowl party where everybody else was getting like lit, like trashed. And, and, uh, and I'm, I'm a church planner. And I got trashed with No, I'm just kidding. I didn't get trashed with him. I'm just trying to, you know, be a Jew to the Jew and a Gentile to the Gentile. No, I didn't do any of that because <clears throat> I don't know what the scripture says about being drunk, right? But but we get back in the car and I, 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 Billy Jay and I were, I was like, that was a little bit, that felt uncomfortable for us because both of us are preacher's kids and like we weren't, we weren't raised at going to parties where everybody was getting drunk. So uh, we were like, did we, did we leave too late? Should we have left early? What does this do to our kids? And all, and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and I don't know. I mean, I, I have an opinion on that, but that's for an, another time. But I said to Billy Jane, the fact that we're having this conversation in the car means that we're at least doing the kind of things Jesus would do if he had come to this party also. Like we're hanging out with the right people if those are the conversations that we're having to have. The theme of the entire Bible could be summarized as God's plan to seek and to save those who are lost. And that's what Jesus said his entire mission was. At verse, remember Luke 19, 10? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. So if that was his entire mission and he told us to follow him, then shouldn't that be our mission also? Here's the reality. Everybody you know that is spiritually disconnected from God, if they live the rest of this life disconnected from God and enter eternity, they enter eternity the exact same way, disconnected from God. Like, stop and think about that for a minute everybody you know that is disconnected from God, if they don't find a way to reconnect to God through faith in his son Jesus before they enter eternity, then that decision becomes permanent. And what could there be that you can do that would be of greater value than spending this Friday hanging out with that person over a fire pit in your backyard? even if they do bring a six-pack. Some of you guys are like, they don't need to. I got my own. I don't know. (laughs) But the church isn't for Christians. The church is Christians, and we're for everybody else. And what I love is I think, I think for the most part, your church gets this. Like when I hear about all the stuff that your church does for people with no strings attached, they don't have to come to your church to be blessed by your church. I just want to know if this, is, if this is the way you live your life personally. Lake Point is a great church, but your church hasn't arrived because you have 15,000 people in attendance or because you own buildings in multiple locations throughout the region. Because Lake Point shouldn't measure the success of its church by the number of butts in its seat, but by the number of our friends whose butts still ain't here. We don't get to 15,000 and pat ourselves on the back because look at us, because you still have very close friends that really are going to spend eternity separated from God. Sorry, I didn't want to cry because people think that you're manipulating people when you do that and I don't want to. So I'll make a joke about squirrels in a minute so that you know I'm not trying to manipulate you. But that's got to bother you. Sorry. I started thinking about the squirrel and I lost my place. The goal of this church isn't to get to 20,000. It's not to get to 55 churches started. It's not. Here's what I want to do. If you have a close friend or family who's disconnected from God, raise your hand. Keep it up for just a second. Look around the room. Lake Point will be done when there's no more hands raised. At the end of that question. That's when you're done. So I want to close with three things that I think you can do personally to get better at becoming a part of the spiritual renewal that I really do believe that God's going to bring out of this short season of, I say short prophetically and wishfully, that it's a short season of chaos. The first thing that you need, and they all start with a P by the way, because I was raised in a Baptist church and if you give points, they have to start with the same letter. So the letter is P. So today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P. Anybody remember Sesame Street? All right. Churches are social constructs and reflect the social networks of its membership. And if you want a higher percentage of people who need Jesus in this church, you need a higher percentage of people who need Jesus at your barbecue. One way... That you guys can love your local communities as you heard in the announcements from the lady who runs the bookstore and then even from pastor josh here at lake point is serving through your local ministry partners there are several volunteer serving opportunities available and to find out more you can text the word missions to the number that 20411 thing you guys can text that like your church has opportunities already created but some of these opportunities i think you're going to have to create yourself You just need to start making friends with people that don't think like you and it's really uncomfortable because all of us are attracted to people who are like us but Jesus didn't do that and you shouldn't either. There's probably something that you can do this week to be a blessing to the person that you thought of in your head when I asked who was the one who was farthest from God and I think that's the thing that you ought to do to be most like Jesus this next week. Second, that was the first thing is proximity. You need access For me as a dad with kids in Little League, I had tons of access and like a lot of my friends from Little League have become devoted followers of Jesus and more of them have not though, by the way, but now that my kids have left the house, I've become worried about that. So I joined the old man basketball league at the Y just for more access to more people that need Jesus. The second thing is posture. We have the truth, but we should never be a jerk with it. We need to ask questions before offering answers. Everybody wants to talk about God, but nobody wants to talk about God to somebody that they're not comfortable with, and your job is to be the person they're comfortable with. The third is patterns of speech. Talk like a normal person. Don't say weird religious things. Don't walk up to strangers and give them a track and tell them they're going to hell. Please. If you do that, we ride the subway in Boston. If a religious person like I'm a preacher. I will get off at the next stop and get on another train, right? Just be a normal person. Talk about the way God has impacted your life. When the conversation comes up, your job isn't to get them saved. That's Jesus's job. Your job is to be their friend. If they trust you, they'll bring up Jesus. And when they bring him up, just keep the conversation going. That's how it's worked for us. What I want you to do is I want you to think about the friend that's farthest from God or the person that's farthest from God in your circle of influence. I'm gonna ask you to pray for him. If you would please bow your head with me. And I want you to think of a specific person that might not already be in your friendship circle. Maybe they already are. But think of the person that you would say is farthest from God. And I want you to pray for God to bless the stinking tar out of them. The Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance. God, do great things in their life and let them recognize that it's you. Let them see me as a friend. Help me to find ways to just be cool to them this next week. Let me be the kind of person that those who are farthest from you feel most loved by. Would that person say they felt most loved by you? If not, why not and fix it? Jesus prioritized time with Zacchaeus. Who is the spiritually disconnected person from God that you probably ought to prioritize your time around? This isn't convenient. You've already got your friends and it doesn't include them, does it? So it's inconvenient. It's not easy. And it might even be a pain, but it's what Jesus would do. The whole point is to seek and to save those who are lost. Pastor Josh doesn't know your coworkers. He doesn't know your friends. He doesn't know your neighbors. He doesn't know your brother-in-law. You know who does know them? You. But if they never feel loved by you, then how will they ever know they are loved by God? God, I ask for your will to be done in our hearts. It's awfully comfortable for us to start grouping up with people that vote like us, think like us, uh, read the same books we read, watch the same news channels we watch, talk about the same things and have the same lifestyles. God, help us to recognize that the whole point of following Jesus is to learn to be a fisher of those who don't. And you've put each one of the little boats of our lives in the middle of ponds filled with people that are disconnected from you. And God, they are the point of our lives. It's not me retiring early or comfortable. It's about me leveraging every opportunity so that everybody I know, love, care about, work around, or am in contact with gets at least one good chance To know you and to follow you before they meet you face to face and wish that they had, dear God, use me to help them find you. That is the prayer, hopefully, from all of our hearts. And if it is, we pray this in Jesus' name and we all say together, amen.